or, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to kind of get what's going on. Verse 1 says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the guard of the temple, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail in the morning. The next day, the council of the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or whose name do you do this? Now, we kind of get a little glimpse of what's going on now. There's two guys. We're going to get to all this in a second. Uh, they're imprisoned, and some people get together and say, you're talking about a resurrection. We don't know if we believe that or understand that, so we're going to kind of question you about this. Now, here's what I want us to do together as a group. Um, I want us to go on a journey together, and I want us to all do this. So I'm going to give you a little hint about what we're going to do. So I've got a little audio clip I want you to listen to very quickly, and maybe you'll understand what we're about to do. Could you play that clip? Um, all right, that's good. When I was a kid, there was a show called Unsolved Mysteries. And it was on at night. Like, I think they did this on purpose. And Robert Stack would come out. It was on Lifetime. And I used to swear to myself, I won't watch this show before I go to bed. And then I would. And they'd be like, you know, this guy John found Mary. And Mary was killed in a swamp. And no one knew if John did or not. And they questioned John. And you see John. He's like, I don't know. I was out with my friends. I didn't kill you, Sally. I didn't kill you. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh. He's still loose. I don't even know he's going to kill me. And I used to get so wigged out because Unsolved Mysteries, I mean, even today, if I hear that music, it takes me back. And so today, this is kind of an unsolved mystery for us. Right now, we know that these guys, Peter and John, we don't know anything about them. They come forward, and they're arrested, and they're put in prison. We're talking about a resurrection. That, to me, is an unsolved mystery. That's a little strange. So let's walk through the accusers and the accused. Now, the accusers, the first group we have is the priests. They're basically modern-day, I hate to say this, but they are. They're modern-day paid pastors. They just are. They're guys that know what we call Scripture. They knew this thing called the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they studied it religiously. Some historians say that they had these little boxes on their arms. They would pull out Scripture verses and memorize them. It was ridiculous. And they knew all these laws. And these priests were very, very rich, powerful, and very, very intelligent. That's why they said to them, you guys are idiots. They're not like us. So the first group is the modern-day pastor or the priest. The second is the captain of the guard. Now, you say to yourself, Mark, this, this place that's going on is a temple. It's a church in Jerusalem. Why would they need guards? Well, here's why they need guards. Because the occupation of the guard was to watch the temple. And where the temple was placed was very strategic. You see, Rome had invaded Israel. And the captain, or, the, or the, the, the epicenter was Jerusalem, where the captain of the guard would watch over the temple. It was in the dead center. And so as long as Israel's temple played nice with Rome, Rome would invade the temple and push them out, and they worshiped their God, and Rome did their thing politically, and it kind of worked. So they made sure that the church was on lockdown. So if anything got out of hand, they would call, yo, get rid of that guy on table one. He got to go. Um, and in today's world, we do that. 
We have a security team here at Crossroads. Rodney Emanuel is the head of our security, and he has men and women that kind of oversee what we do. In fact, I kid with him today. I said, I'm the only guy I got to worry about today. They're going to kill me, so please don't kill me. Um, but we have a security team, and their church or their temple had a security team. So the captain, the guard, he's there. Now, the last group we have, they're the most interesting. They're called the Sadducees. And in college, I had to learn about the Epicureans and the Essenes and the Herodians and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'm not here to bore you with all that. But here's what separated them. There were two things. The first was they believed in no resurrection. They didn't believe anybody could be resurrected. So this whole Jesus Christ thing that just took place or was rumored to have happened, they didn't want to hear a word about it. And these two guys made a big mistake. They started talking about resurrection. And the second thing, you're going to have a little bit of a joke about this. This is funny. They were religious, but they were highly political. That means they'd be outside right now. Trump, Trump, or Hillary, I don't know. I'm not going there. You know what I mean? But they were involved in politics very much. And here's why. Because they were religious people. They were getting grease. You know what I mean by grease? They were getting money. And they were well-to-do people. So as long as, like I said, Rome was happy, they were happy. And if they kept order, they got money, power, prestige. So our mystery is starting to come unraveled. You've got two commoners that have done something we don't know yet, and then we have these people that are bringing them to trial. Now, here's our accused. Now, let's just say if you're a Bible scholar more than me, I get it, but let's just stay with what we know right now. Up until this point, this guy's name is John. The first thing we find out about John in the Bible is he's a fisherman. That's very important, and I'm going to explain why in just a second. He's a common, everyday, ordinary Joe Schmo from a low-life town near Capernaum. He is a nobody. He's not educated. He's just a fisherman. And I know you think, well, I'm a fisherman. I'm not, I'm not like that. Different time, different culture. He was a nobody. The second thing we find out, somewhere between, and as historians have debated about this, between 20 and his mid-30s, he followed this guy named Yeshua. We know Yeshua by the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, believe it or not, was also a nobody. He was a commoner. And here's how we know that. In history, the Jewish culture did two things. When you were a young boy, you went to two schools. The first school you would go to would be preschool. And from the age of, say, around three or so to about 12, you were put through preschool. And if you were good enough, smart enough, your family had good background and you made all the grades, you were continued to be a priest. You'd be accepted to be like these guys. And if you weren't, you would go and do your father's trade because that's all you knew. So Jesus, we're told in the Bible, was the son of a tektoff, not a carpenter. We read it and translate it as carpenter because that's the word we got in the English language. But Jesus, get this, guys, he wasn't even a skilled carpenter. He was actually a handyman. He'd go to your town or your village, he'd fix your boat, he'd fix your roof. He would do whatever it took to make ends meet. Common, unordinary, just, just a normal guy. And John was just like that. And when he saw Jesus come, he said, I don't know what it's going to take, but I want to be your friend. I want to hang out with you. So he became a disciple and later an apostle of Jesus Christ. He got so close to Christ that the Bible actually says he was the beloved disciple. You say, Mark, well, how do we know that? Well, if you've ever seen the picture of the Last Supper, there's a person or an individual leaning next to Jesus Christ. Now, to be honest, that picture is incorrect. Beautiful, but incorrect. It actually would have been a U-shaped table. Jesus would have been to the far right, and the person to his left, or right, excuse me, would have been the honored guest. Jesus is like best friend. And that's why he got this term, Jesus called him the disciple that I love. So Jesus, the Son of God, said, you're like one of my best friends. We also know that because he became what's called one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Three specific occasions, Jesus does a special miracle that nobody on earth has ever seen, only these guys. His other disciples are probably in the room going, well, what about us? You know, are we not as important? 
I don't know why, but Jesus chose to use these three guys for a specific reason. Now, let's talk about Peter. Peter's, I like Peter. This guy, he's like, he's like me. He's a little off the wall. Yeah, I like that guy. Uh, Peter was also a fisherman. He was a low-life, kind of run-of-the-mill, ordinary guy. But we also know Peter to be a little fiery, too. There was one episode in the Bible where Jesus is walking on water, and everyone's all freaked out. They're like, it's a ghost. No, oh, it's, it's Jesus. And Peter looks at his guys and says, you guys are all foolish. I want to jump out, too. Jumps out of the boat. If you've heard the story, he walks a few feet, sinks because he gets scared, and Jesus helps him. Um, but he walked on water. Not many people can say that. No, I, I can't. Um, we also know that Jesus told him in Matthew chapter 16 that I'm going to build my church on you. Do you realize, and you can debate with me later, that's okay, that we are here and thousands upon millions of churches are starved because of one guy. And in just a few moments, this one little episode we're talking about today could have stopped eternity future if it wasn't for Peter. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, the building of people around us, on you. We also know that he actually cut off a guy's ear. His name was Malchus. When Jesus is about to get arrested, Peter's like, uh-uh. Pulls out his sword, cuts off a guy's ear, and Jesus puts the ear back on and says, no, 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 this needs to happen. And we also know he denied Christ. Imagine your best friend for three years who'd given up everything to follow this guy. And three times he says, mm, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. But then later we find out that Peter spoke one sermon. 3,000 plus people get saved. The church, the thing we do today, 2,000 plus years later, that's still going strong. That's the only institution that's still going strong. He starts it. Jesus' promise comes true. So now we have our accusers. We have the accused. So what happened? What caused all this mayhem? So let's back up to chapter 3. We're going to start right in verse 1. We're going to find out what takes place. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Verse 1, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Sounds familiar. Hey, honey, what time is it? Oh, it's 9.30. We better get to church. Church starts at 10. All right, we'll be there at 9, or 9.59. Perfect. Um, but it's church service. Some of us meet on Sunday nights. Some of us meet Sundays. Some of us meet Wednesday nights. It just depends on the day. They went to the 3 o'clock prayer service, a normal church service. That's what they did. As they approached the temple, verse 2, a man lame from birth was being carried in. I want you to remember this. It says, each day. It wasn't once a week, guys. Each day. He was put outside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Now, I just read that to you, but that should strike you as odd. So I'm going to put you in the driver's seat with me. Let's say me and you, whoever you are, go pick up Bill. Let's just call him Bill for lack of a better term. And we pick up Bill and we say, hey, this morning we're going to go to Crossroads. And we're going to take you to church. And we drive Bill wherever we pick him up. And we take him right to the front, right out there by the gym doors. And we drop him off. And I say, I'll be right back. I'll park the car. You hang here with Bill. I'll be right back. We park the car. I park the car. I come back. And you and Bill are staying there. And all of a sudden, I look at Bill and I say, Bill, I don't know how to tell you this, but... I noticed when we were in my car, you just, you just smell a little, a little weird. I'm not trying to be mean. I don't be disrespectful or rude, but you just... And I don't want to tell you this, but the clothes you're wearing, dude, like, honestly, I'm not saying they're bad, but it's not, it's not for this place. And let's just be honest. Some of the things you said while we were in the car, if I were to be honest, I, I, don't, think you're, I don't think you should come in right now. Maybe give it a week. So me and you walk in the church and leave Bill outside. The greeters are waving to him. People are drinking coffee. Hey, how you doing? And he's sitting outside of a church. I want you to understand what is going on. Every day, a lame guy, church people, 
priests, religious people, are walking by him. And he's begging for money to Christians. There's something wrong with this picture, or is there? Is that what we do today? That's the question we have to answer in just a few minutes. So verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now here's what we got to bring back Bill the story. Let's say now Bill walks in with me and you. And you're just like everybody else. These people in this church, they know where they sit. They've been seeing Bill sitting outside. And all of a sudden, you're over here to the far left of me or the far right. And all of a sudden, you see this guy not walking, but running, jumping around, going, this is awesome. I can walk. And you're going, hey, babe, look, will you just turn around for one second? Is that that guy? I know he's been here since he's been a little kid. He can't walk. Is he, is he walking? I don't know. I think he is. Then all of a sudden, the people in the next row look over and go, is that, yeah, that's him. Who is he with? Why, why is he walking? I don't know. All of a sudden, another row. I heard somebody healed him. I don't know. He's making a ruckus. All of a sudden, the political people and the religious people and the captain of the guard are going, uh, check, crazy people in aisle three. Uh, somebody could a, a dart in their neck. That would be good right about now. Yeah, make it, make it quiet. Okay, good. The religious people are, are just like, what? Who are those guys? And why are they with that lame dude? So they're like, oh, we got to stop this. Oh, no, 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 no. Not in church. No, no, no. We can't have that in church. We can't have a lame guy running in the back here. We can't have that. So now let's fast forward back to the trial. In Acts chapter 4, we go back to verse 7. We find out now that they're on trial because they've talked about a resurrection. And um, I don't know how to say this. They helped out a guy in church. Like, that's a normal thing. These are the two things they're on trial for. So verse 7 says, They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? He said, Really? Like, are you crazy? Like, you tell us to be good people. You tell us to be Christian people, to dress a certain way, to act a certain way. Does this sound familiar? And yet when somebody walks in, we did something right, I go to prison for this? Are you serious? Am I really listening to this right now? I can just imagine Peter being like, oh, somebody got to help somebody here. Do you want to know, he said, how he was healed? Verse 10, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The man, he says, listen to this, guys, you crucified. You did this. You crucified him by whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, and this is where he really digs. He said, y'all are smart and mighty people. We're idiots. You study the scriptures, you know. Well, remember this little passage of scripture? He said, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He is the man, and you missed it. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
Members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see, here's that word again, that they were ordinary men. And here's why we know they downed them. With no special training in Scripture. They were common fishermen. That's what they were. They weren't special. They weren't pastors. They were normal, everyday people. And by the way, so are we. They just didn't get the message. They really didn't. So here's what I want to do for us tonight, or this morning. I want to give you three things that are going to help you go from ordinary to extraordinary. Right in the text. The first one is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, the Bible says that Peter stood up filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going charismatic. I'm not trying to say we roll around and start speaking in tongues and healing people and slapping people and, you know, asking for money. I'm only kidding. Um, But it's not about charismatic. You see, I find it funny about Christians. They tell me all the time, Mark, you know, I don't understand the Bible or I don't get how I should live. I mean, Monday's good and Tuesday changes and Thursday's worse and then Friday comes. I'm waiting for Sunday. I don't understand how I should live my life. I've been doing it for five years, 20 years, 30 years. And here's the best part. The Apostle Paul told us what we should do in two verses, very simply. And here's what he doesn't tell us to do. We're going to break that down in a second. In Galatians 5, and 23, he says this. The fruit, the evidence, the idea, the belief that you really are a Christian is, check this out, love. I was at a church yesterday, a very large church, and they did a car show. There was like a thousand cars there, and there were people everywhere, and there were people in shirts, and blind green shirts that said, we're here to serve you, 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 we're here to serve you. We are here to serve you. And my daughter asked me, she said, Dad, do you think all these people go to this church? I said, no. I probably doubt they all do. They gave away ice cream, and they gave away different things, and they said, hey, come over here, and we're thankful that you're here, and here's a car, check this out, and I was blown away. But here's what they didn't do, what that Bible verse told them. Hey, did you read your Bible? You know, Christians do that. Did you read your Bible? You should pray. You know, you should pray harder. You should just go to church. That's going to help you. If you read Galatians 5, Paul didn't say one of those things. He didn't say, study eschatology or know what it is to mean. What is soteriology or what's homariology? Why don't you figure that out? He didn't say any of that. He said, do things. Love people. A lame guy's outside of your church. He should be inside your church. And that should be your passion. That should be mine. I shouldn't walk by a guy and let him sit there. And Peter's like, not today. Uh-uh, it ain't going to happen. I've been changed. I want to do something. I want to be extraordinary. And if you want to lose weight or get better at sport, what do you do? You work out. You buy DVDs. You do things. You get equipment. You get cleats. You do whatever you can to be extraordinary. And when it comes to the Christian walk, you love people for a day and you give up. You're patient for a week and you stop. Your wife is ignorant and you're disrespectful. Your boss is irrelevant and you walk away from him and you curse him underneath your breath. You want to know why? Because I'm just like you. I don't give it a chance. The Bible says you want to change your life. Be extraordinary. Be filled. Don't talk. Walk what you do. Live your life extraordinary. The second thing is to be courageous, to find courage. The Bible says that Peter stood up. Understand how pivotal this moment is. 3,000 plus people just got saved. They're in a trial room in front of thousands of people. And if he backs down, it's over. Because everyone who just got saved said he was a fraud. He's not worth it. Someone said he was going to be the founder of the church, and he's done. If he gives up, we're giving up. And the young person, friend, I'm telling you right now, that's you. You're a Christian. You're sitting here in this church. And let me tell you this. Your friends, your coworkers, everyone's looking at you. And if you think you don't have a message, you're wrong. And you are the difference between somebody sitting in this empty seat throughout this whole building. There's tons of them. 
And I know it's the summer, but I don't care about the summer. I care about heaven. And this guy right here said, I will take a stand. You are all wrong. Even though you study the scriptures, you're wrong. It was amazing. And the people, he knew this. So I want to show you a video of the best way I can describe courage. Here it is. special place of my heart for the military. My uh, Several close friends of mine serve and have been hurt, and I've got a brother, my wife's brother, Eric, serves in the military, and I love that scene. Did you see what he did? Mel Gibson looks around, and he's like, no, no, we're not turning back. Lead. Christian, lead. Your job is lead. Pastors are to lead people. We're to lead you, and you're to lead your community, you're to lead your co-workers and your friends and your family to storm the hill for Christ. And Peter said, not today. And you notice in that scene what he did? He threw his gun. Peter wasn't armed with anything. The Bible says he was an idiot. They called him an idiot. They called his bluff. They said, you're a moron. You're not even going to stand in front of all of us. You're going to fall. He said, no, no, no. You guys are wrong. Because he had something different to offer. And let me tell you something. You're just like that video image. When you back down, people don't want to fill these seats. Period. Because they see you and they say, hmm. Or maybe they say, for who and for what? Lastly, it's follow Jesus' example. I want you to notice at the end of the trial, this is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so here's what happens. They heal a lame guy, okay? Take him to church. Everybody goes crazy. Uh, the religious people are like, oh, you know, crazy man on six, get rid of him, you know. Oh, and they're talking about that stupid resurrection thing again. You know, what can we do? So they try him. Peter calls their bluff. And at the very end, they look at each other and go, okay, um, all right, let's figure this out. So the people are super mad at us right now. 
Uh, he's kind of right. I mean, they just heal the guy. I mean, that's like you know killing a kitten. You can't can't do that. You know, it's terrible. Um, uh, well, um, what do you what, what what do you guys think happened here? The Bible says that they recognize. Listen to this. They recognize that they were with Jesus. Imagine I walked into your home or into your family room or wherever your family gather or your workplace or maybe if I sat next to you and I never came to this church. Maybe you're new. You fill in the blank. Would somebody say, I recognize you, that you follow Jesus? I don't know. You see, that's the difference, church. That's the difference maker. That's the game changer. We ask ourselves, well, we should pray more, we should read more, we should study more, we should witness more, and then we do all these things, and then we wonder why we're not close to God and people don't fall in love with Jesus Christ. And Paul said it's because you don't love people. Peter and, and John said it's because you rejected the lame guy. And all we do is complain about, you know, the air conditioner, this, and I'm not saying us specifically, I mean in general. Because I do it too. I mean, I, I complain. And I wonder, but then i got to go back to two guys who changed the world. And by the way, they were called, just so you know again, idiots. I don't know about you, but I'll be an idiot. If the world wants to call me an idiot so someone can get to party with Jesus, you want to be an idiot? I'll be an idiot. You can call me all you want. You can call me more than that, and I've been. But I know one thing. That party that that lame guy had in that church didn't end. It just started. Here's my question for you this morning. Do you want to be extraordinary? That's it. It's real common. Common question for hopefully an uncommon person. Do you want to be extraordinary? Do you want to live your life ordinary? Because if you do, I'm just going to be honest. The movement doesn't move. I struggle with this, guys. I really do. I struggle. I said, God, you know, you're so great and awesome. You want everyone to love you. And, and that's just what the Bible teaches. How come everyone doesn't love you? And then I think about it. You're my representation, Mark. You're the reason why people don't love me. Because they see you. And you work in an environment where there's a lot of ordinary people. And I give you a chance. Every day. Every day. Here's what I'd like us to do. If you'd stand to your feet. Mark's going to play. Um, I'm not going to wait long. I'm not, I'm not trying to keep us here for very long. But here's what I want to do. I want to be an idiot. <laughs> I do. If someone's willing to call me an idiot for Jesus Christ, I'm one step closer to that person getting saved. <laughs> they just don't know it. Here's what I'd ask. You'd say, you know what? I want to be like Mel Gibson in that movie. I want to carry the gospel. I want to share my love of Christ with somebody. I want to live my life. Maybe not get to share it, but live it. Just live it. So that somebody would say, you know what? Man, I want what you got. I want to leave. I wonder, does anybody want to be extraordinary? If you want to be extraordinary, the first step is to be courageous. Is it going to take some? Oh, yeah. It's going to take you getting in front of God and saying, I need a challenge today. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to pray for you because I'm in on this too. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and my Monday will start. I'm going to work with a bunch of guys that are just off the wall. And that's okay because I'd like to be an idiot. So if you want to come, I'm going to pray. Mark's going to play. And just ask God. Say, hey, God, help me. Help me to be extraordinary. Father, I just love all that you do for us. As I look out into the crowd, I'm just, I'm elevated right now because, well, someone asked me to be, not because I deserve to be. 
But Father, as I pray for Crossroads and I pray that we would just be not ordinary people, there are thousands upon thousands of people that, that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. And if it wasn't for two common fishermen, everyday people, they would not have this extraordinary future that we have right now. Our lives are built on their work. And in another thousand years, the people going forward, their lives are going to be built on our work. So Father, would you help us as a church? Would you help us understand that being extraordinary takes steps, it takes discipline, most importantly, it takes us being willing. Father, bless this church. I thank you for it. I love this church, and I want the best for this church. God, I just pray that you move within our little town of Cecil County, God, that we would be extraordinary and do great things for your son, Jesus Christ, because it is in his name that we pray. So there's, there's one thing that I know is that, and I know that you know, especially after this morning, is that Pastor Mark is far from...